The war in Bosnia and Herzegovina from 1992 to 1995 was the worst one Europe had seen since World War II. Politicians seem to have been caught unawares by what British reporters had unearthed in Bosnia-Herzegovina. A visit to the hospital shows just how many children have been injured. The ward is full of toy soldiers who've been drafted as runners between troops on the real front lines. The doors of hell have opened on Sarajevo. I think this is the darkest place on the planet. Now, there are fears that a similar conflict could strike up again as an escalating crisis compromises the very existence of the country. One of Bosnia's three ethnic groups is threatening to dismantle the delicate agreement holding the country together. And if it does, Bosnia could collapse into another bloody war, something no one is prepared for. People have been saying that if anything happens, anything serious, that they simply don't have the strength or the energy to have to go through and survive through another war. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The voice you heard just now was my colleague, Mercija Gaggio. She's a producer for Al Jazeera Digital, and she's just returned to Canada after a month in Bosnia. Being on the ground there, there's this very strange atmosphere. Everyone's really concerned about what they've seen from these series of announcements that the Serb member of the presidency has made regarding secession. Bosnia and Herzegovina is a country with three presidents, a Bosniak, a Croat, and a Serb. They represent their respective ethnic groups and, in theory, work together to lead the nation. But right now, the Serb member, Milorad Dodik, is threatening instead to tear the country apart. For most people, it's a lot similar to how it was in 1991, right before the war broke out in Bosnia. It's very similar dynamics, similar rhetoric. So everyone is very concerned and worried about the future. We'll return to Merciha and the present in a bit. But to understand what this means, why the context of the 90s is so concerning, and why there's even a three-person presidency, we have to return to the past. And for that, we turn to Maida Ruge. I'm a senior fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations in Berlin. She started by telling us how Bosnia's government works. The country's constitution was written as part of the Dayton Peace Agreement, which ended the war in Bosnia in 1995. And Bosnia and Herzegovina as a country emerged out of the war as de facto three ethnic mini-states in one, with extremely weak central government and enormous degree of decentralization at the entity level. So basically, in addition to its tripartite presidency, Bosnia is broken up into two parts a Bosniak-Croat federation in the middle, and Republika Srpska in the north and east, which is led by a Bosnian Serb, like Milorad Dodik. And so what Dodik is threatening to do now and what the current crisis is really about is he has put forward a plan to dismantle all of the institutions of the central government. Dodik has been making threats like these for nearly 15 years. But he denies that they amount to secession, just more autonomy. International leaders and many people in Bosnia disagree. 
Here's Dozik explaining his plan at a press conference. The Republic of Srpska will control its own affairs in a legal, constitutional manner, including by having its own army, judiciary, fiscal administration, as well as intelligence and security agencies. We will re-establish all these institutions. This includes tax collection authority, this includes state border protection, this includes defense forces, intelligence, state-level judiciary, etc., etc. And he is threatening to do so within the next six months by putting forward over 100 of laws which would withdraw Republika Srpska from these uh, power-sharing agreements at the state level and these central government institutions. Dodik argues that Republika Srpska needs to have its own separate government because it doesn't have enough autonomy in the system right now. Maida says that's far from the truth. His threats to withdraw Republika Srpska from all of these central government institutions are based on some imaginary scenario where Republika Srpska does not really have enough autonomy. The reality is that Republika Srpska remains probably the most autonomous sub-state entity in Europe. In fact, Maida says, Bosnia and Herzegovina's government is so very decentralized that it's actually inefficient. There's hardly any federal state with such degree of decentralization where entities have such enormous power, which they exercise on education, on foreign policy, on economics, on whatever you name it. And in addition, you have a power sharing agreement at the central level of government, which guarantees equal representation to all three groups. That's the tripartite presidency we mentioned, with one Bosniak, one Croat, and one Serb all governing together. And they are given an extensive number of veto mechanisms through which they can veto any sort of decision that they deem going against their national interest or entity interest. So it's basically a system which has given so much in terms of the protection of group rights that it has taken Bosnia to a situation where country can hardly function because it's so easily taken hostage by political representatives. This complex system, with its many subdivisions and multiple leaders, is not intuitive, and it makes governing hard. But it was a compromise agreed upon with the hopes that it would prevent horrors like the ones we saw in the last Bosnian War, which fell along ethno-religious lines. Bosniaks are predominantly Muslims, Croats are often Roman Catholic, and many Serbs are Orthodox Christian. There'd been persistent rumors that Serbs were guilty of atrocities against Croats and Muslims in the former Yugoslav Republic. In this senseless war, civilians from all three main groups in Bosnia, Croats, Serbs and Muslims, are helpless targets. You may remember the key incident that finally motivated international intervention, the genocide and Srebrenica. The UN tent camp at Tuzla's airport is already overflowing with refugees from Srebrenica. More than 4,500 are in the camp, and Tuzla's hospitals say they can't cope with any more sick or wounded. In July 1995, the forces of the army of Republika Srpska invaded the town of Srebrenica, which is in eastern Bosnia and Herzegovina. And in just a few days, more than 8,000 Bosnian Muslim boys and men were taken 
to places of detention, they were abused, they were tortured, and then they were executed and thrown into mass graves. Srebrenica was the final straw. Here's Chris Janowski, the spokesman of the UN's Agency for Refugees at the time. These people went through quite a, a harrowing experience being expelled from Srebrenica. We have reports of people being killed. We have reports of women being uh, taken off buses and taken in an unknown direction. We have reports of bodies being seen alongside the route, of groups of men being seen uh, led by the Bosnian Serb soldiers with uh, their hands behind the back of their heads. We also have uh, reports about the Bosnian Serb soldiers dressed in UN uniforms, luring the civilians out of the woods, then lining them up on the road and shooting them. There had been reports of people being slaughtered in Bosnia throughout the three-year war, but global leaders had held off from getting involved. After the reports of genocide, the U.S. led a NATO intervention and within the year brokered a deal called the Dayton Agreement. Here is Alia Izetbegovic, the former chairman of Bosnia and Herzegovina. To my people I say, this may not be a just peace, but it is more just than a continuation of war. In the situation as it is, and in the world as it is, a better peace could not have been achieved. The agreement, signed miles away from the fighting in Dayton, Ohio, ended the war and set up a political system to solidify ethnic rights and political control. So now, if Dodik follows through with his threats, he'll be breaking that deal. And that's why so many Bosnians are remembering the days just before war broke out. The problem at this point of time is that Dodik, you know, certainly tapping into a lot of fears and traumas from the war and reactivating people's post-traumatic stress disorders. There's a real vulnerability here, both in terms of trauma and potential for escalation because of that. Refugee return was one important component of the Dayton Peace Agreement. And those who have returned to, for instance, Republika Srpska are the survivors of war crimes. Many have lost their families and friends. And so they're now living in an environment in which they're an absolute minority, enjoy very little or no protections, and are reliving rhetoric on formation, again, of Army of Republika Srpska. That was, in a couple of judgments by the International Court of Justice, found guilty on many counts of war crimes, ethnic cleansing, but also genocide. My colleague Mercy has spoke to some of the people Maida is referring to, ethnic Bosniaks living as minority members of Republika Srpska. Recently, for an article for Al Jazeera, I spoke with Ahmed Rustanovic, who's an imam and a teacher in the town of Srebrenica which is located in the Serb-run entity of Republika Srpska. And this is where Serb forces committed genocide against Bosniak Muslims in July 1995. Ahmed, he was only a young child when this happened, but he lost his father, both his grandfathers, four uncles, and other cousins during the genocide. What he told me was that he's very uh, concerned and scared about what could happen. 
I'm personally worried. I can't say I'm not scared. And I can't believe that after so many years and after surviving the genocide, you are again afraid for yourself, for your family, for your life. He hopes for the best, that he, he won't have to flee, but nothing can be discounted. And he said that people in Srebrenica are, are scared. Like, what is going on? Will we have to run again? He mentioned how the political situation was never this bad since the war ended. So when Ahmed says, will he have to run again, what's going through his mind? What is he remembering about the 90s? During the 90s, he escaped with his mother and his sister to the city of Tuzla. The, the majority of the refugees were fleeing there. It was under Bosnian government control. So the, the mothers and the children, they would escape on these buses by the UN. And the men and boys, like some as young as 15 years old, 14, they would stay behind. And in the end, they killed them under the UN flag. So... He's fearing for his life. He can't believe that he's put into the same situation as as his father and his uncles 25 years before. I just feel that it is a defeat of all policies, both international and our domestic and everyone else. Marziha also spoke with a woman named Munira Subashish. She is the president of the Mothers of Srebrenica Association. So she went to visit and just to speak to the families, give them some words of comfort. But she told me, I have nothing comforting to tell them because I myself, I can't handle what's uh, going on right now regarding the political situation. It's a very difficult situation. She mentioned there's a lot of the same talk and whispering and stories circulating, just how it was in 1991, before the war broke out. All they do is keep telling us we are monitoring the situation, you should agree between yourselves. But what they actually did is divide Bosnia. She said she's disappointed in the international community. Um, said they betrayed us in 1995 and they're trying to betray us again now. She mentioned a scenario where if Republika Srpska secedes, she will need a passport to go visit her loved ones that are buried in Republika Srpska. This idea of betrayal from the international community is a common theme when speaking to Bosnians about the political crisis. We heard it from our third guest as well. My name is Riada Ashimovic-Akiol. I'm contributing editor for New Lines magazine and creator and host of the Dignified Resilience podcast. Riada is based in Washington, D.C., but she's been following the situation closely, as most of her family is back in Bosnia. When I talk to family and friends in Bosnia right now, the general sentiment surely is fear, at least among those who I speak to. It is all just so deeply saddening, while being maddening at the same time, because generations of people uh, still have to worry for their imminent future. Many genocide survivors are dying. Others keep looking for the remnants of their family in mass graves. And it is just so profoundly sad to even think about this new crisis. Briada says it's frustrating to watch the international community stand back while the crisis escalates. 
The international high representative to Bosnia, Christian Schmidt, has warned that Dodik's actions could endanger the peace and stability of the country and the region. Plans by the Bosnian Serb leadership to exit some of the country's tripartite institutions, including the military, are described by the international community's high representative, Christian Schmidt, as tantamount to secession. They constitute, he says, the greatest existential threat of the post-war period. Other international representatives have also visited Bosnia to say it needs attention, like Gabriel Escobar from the U.S. State Department. He was in Sarajevo earlier this week. One of the things that we want to make sure is that Bosnia remains independent, sovereign, and territorially whole. But no one has taken concrete steps. Many wonder whether European Union leaders just not see or do they not want to see that this crisis in Bosnia, if it explodes further, will affect them greatly too. And many assert that the EU needs to make a clear stand against this secessionist politics in Bosnia and impose sanctions on Bosnian leaders that violate the Dayton Peace Accords. The Biden administration has focused its foreign policy on countering a rising China. And so many analysts have been warning that White House is distracted. And it is certain that the international community's response has been absolutely underwhelming and disappointing for a lot of people in Bosnia. Part of the reason the international community has been so slow to respond to the crisis is because its hands are somewhat tied. Dodik has strong allies. Bosnian Serb leader Milorad Dodik says the Serbs will call on their friends for help, a presumed reference to Serbia proper and Russia. Here's Maida again. Who are Dodik's friends? In this particular game and in this particular episode, Russians are wholeheartedly on Dodik's side. They have not recognized the new high representative, claim his mandate is illegitimate and illegal, and have announced the boycott of all of the Peace Implementation Council meetings uh, chaired by the new high representative. At UN Security Council meetings, Russia has also refused to back any renewal of the EU peacekeeping troops in Bosnia, known as U4, unless all references to High Representative Christian Schmidt are removed from the resolution. Russia also doesn't want him to deliver his report to the UN. So Russians are clearly sharing Dodik's interest of dismantling international supervision. And so Russia is very clearly Dodik's ally in this. As far as other international efforts, with that UN resolution blocked, Maida says U4, as it stands now, isn't enough to protect the civilians of Bosnia. U4 is basically a force of around 660, hardly 700 troops, which consist of mostly Hungarian, Austrian, and Turkish troops. So you have a very small and non-threatening mission, which It's good to have them, but whether they would be able to defend Bosnia's border uh, and deter Milorad Dodik's attempts at secession if he did try them, I think many experts uh, will tell you most likely not. And so the question is, now that we have fought so hard at the UN Security Council to prolong you for, what are we willing to do to reinforce it? (laughs) 
All three of our guests stressed that the UN and EU's slow diplomatic efforts have left many Bosnians feeling helpless. And the worst part, Riata says, is that it's nothing new. Bosniaks have so many times heard things like, oh, nothing will happen, or even, oh, don't worry, we will protect you from the imminent danger. And then what happened in those years between 92 and 95? We can and have and should learn from the history. Bosniaks have plenty of painful episodes of genocidal violence, pogroms, forced migrations, as well as facts on the ground today to take these threats seriously. And that's The Take. If you'd like to learn more, we'll be sharing some of Mercy has reporting on our social media pages. We're at AJ the Take on Twitter and Instagram. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve with Nagin Oliai, Ruby Zaman, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya El-Milek is our team's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is the Take story editor. And Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back.